0: Scott, co host of the Educator Wellness Revolution and Executive Director of Empowered Ed. Welcome back to the podcast. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of mental health. Especially since the beginning of the pandemic, educators have been recognizing that if they want to keep serving students, they need to find the right kind of therapeutic support for themselves. Despite this awareness, so many barriers stand in the way of teachers getting the therapy they need. Mismatched schedules, out-of-network expenses, and long waiting lines are just a few of the factors that keep educators from dedicated time with trained mental health professionals. Washington MedStar's Center for Wellness in School Environments, or MedStar Wise, is an organization that is figuring out how to break down these barriers by providing in-school therapy for educators. Their mission is to promote educators' well-being through assessment and personalized improvement strategies so that they may thrive in their personal and professional lives. EmpowerEd is coordinated with WISE in a few of our partner schools and wanted to share more about the awesome work that they are doing on this podcast. For this, we're so grateful to have such an in-depth conversation with Megan McCormick, co-founder and director of programs and innovation at WISE. During our conversation, we discuss the benefits and drawbacks of bringing therapy to teachers in schools, the common themes many educators are struggling with right now, and the supports that are helping them, the difference between demoralization and burnout, and why it's important to separate these two terms why a human-centered form of leadership is necessary to create a true culture of mental health in schools, and much more. We nodded in agreement to pretty much this entire conversation, and think that you probably will too. This is a vital discussion, and we were so lucky to have it. Please enjoy and consider forwarding it to someone else who may need to hear Megan's message.
1: Hi everyone, we're back with the Educator Wellness Revolution and we are here with Megan McCormick from MedStar Wise. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Can you start by introducing yourself and sharing more about who you are, how you started doing the work you're doing, and then tell us about MedStar Wise and the work you do to support wellness in schools, specifically with educators.
2: Sure. Yeah, I'm Dr. Megan McCormick. I'm a child clinical psychologist and uh, the co-founder and director of programs and innovation for the Center for Well-being in School Environments at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital the Y Center for short uh, yeah i started doing school-based mental health over 10 years ago in dc really just because we uh, myself and a colleague who's also a psychologist just saw a need for increasing access to care for students mental health care for students in underserved parts of our city and got into schools, saw how stressed educators were and and how much need there was within the educator community for more support. And so over time, we developed an aspect of our programming that has since grown and is the biggest part of what we do, which is to develop and implement programs that are designed to reduce mental health issues and burnout in educators and that's the majority of what we do. We partner with schools and still do some support for students and families, but mostly provide mental health supports on many levels for educators and school leaders.
0: It's such an amazing service. And anytime we talk to a partner school that we've shared where they have um, Wise and they have that therapy, it's just an incredible benefit. Uh- Um, to the educators that are there. Tell us more about what is the value uniquely of bringing it in-house for staff members. And then have you found there to be any drawbacks of doing it in that setting?
2: Yeah, the the biggest advantage is access. We regularly survey all of the educators who come into services with us once they're exiting services. And this is the thing we see consistently over and over again, people saying the fact that I was able to get therapy support in the middle of my school day without having to leave take time off drive to you know to an office was invaluable and we see uh, a lot of folks come to us for care who have never been in care before and have wanted care and, and sought, tried to seek that out in the community, but just couldn't make it work. As you know, like teacher schedules, schedules don't really allow for much. Right. So, so just the, the access I would say related to that is the visibility, us being in the building, we become part of the school team. we come a part of the culture and climate and people see us and they become comfortable with us. And so many of the barriers that you normally see to people accessing mental health care, the stigma, just the unknown of what that means and who the person is and whether you'll connect connect with them. We break those barriers down by just being in the building and also having school leaders messaging hey this is somebody we're paying money to have in the building and we want you to take advantage of that i think goes a long way we also hear from from folks that uh, just our working knowledge of of schools and educators and us having an expertise and specialty in the specific stressors that 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 educators face is something that people find really Valuable, although I think that the types of things that people present with are also just the types of things that any any person struggles with. But there, there certainly is a specific aspect of being an educator that people really find comfort in knowing that this, you know, this person I'm meeting with understands that and understands my school.
0: It's such a unique work yeah. and intersection. Are there like particular kinds of therapists um, that you find are drawn to this? Because it's you know, people obviously have a passion for education and understand the need for it right in a school environment and there's kind of a deep understanding of like what the school environment is there um have you found that there's kind of a trend around the people who want to do this work
2: yeah that's a really good question yeah people that believe deeply in systems-based care so the interesting thing is we mostly hire child specialized practitioners in our in our center but all all of us are also trained to see adults and what you find is is people who are deeply committed to working with the the people who surround children in order to improve um, their lives, and people who believe that it's not on the person necessarily, but it's in it's it's a th- that we exist in systems and communities, and we have to uh, understand all of that and work together as a system to really improve the functioning of the people living within that system. So I would say yes in this in the sense that we're attracting people who really care about systems-based work, who see schools as these, complicated families and these places where we can do really magical things where everybody in the building really believes in the same thing and wants the same thing, but is also under a lot of stress. And so people who are really familiar with like family-based therapies, system-based therapies, and, and people who are committed to, to kids and adults alike. You asked about draw. You asked about drawbacks also. Would you like me to? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I, you know, it's the, it's also a good question. There are inherent complications and, and complexities that come with working within a big family, right? Which is kind of how we see schools. And, and so I think that there's there's some we we just have to juggle knowing all the players, right? And and often we'll have a clinician who's seeing um for therapy lots of people who are kind of in the same family, so to speak. And frustrated with one another and, you know, experiencing things in the push and pull of these dynamics within a school. And so so we we have to, again, manage that in a, in ways that are similar to doing family therapy or family within therapy within systems. I think the other thing that people and, and even school leaders often ask us about is, what about, you know, the idea of treating someone who has complex trauma histories, which is, Many, many educators that we see, unfortunately, and and doing that in the middle of the school day when they have to go back into their their classroom and teach, and so that's something that we a question that we've answered since we began doing the same kind of um, integrated care with students. And what we do is we always just try to work out the timing of sessions to be what's most comfortable for the The educator and we make sure to anchor our sessions, starting and ending, in grounding and mindfulness-based techniques, um, which always seems to be helpful. So we never really had a problem with that. But we just, uh, it's something we always innovate around a little bit, and and in some cases we will refer out to another person in our within our center to see someone if it feels like they need to be seen outside of the school or outside of the school day.
1: What are some of the themes you keep hearing from educators and and has that changed through this like pandemic period?
2: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> many, many of the educators that come to therapy with us are facing the same things that you see in all people, um, depression, anxiety, interpersonal issues, trauma but specific to educators we obviously see just a lot of burnout a lot of professional dissatisfaction and I think what's what we know about educators you guys know this you are educators and is is the the sense of meaning and purpose that people get from their work is often competing with the way they feel like it's going for them. And so we find people who are really deeply conflicted about wanting to to be in this profession that they see as their calling and also working within a, a school or in relationships or just within a profession that doesn't feel uh, like it lifts them up and like it really acknowledges them and their contributions. And so that is something that we we see probably in every person who's coming to see us. You know, I think, yeah, for many people, they'll even come to us because they're facing issues and just managing their classrooms, for instance. And so the advantage that we have is that we can, we're there and we can be a part of their lives and see parts of their lives and help them more concretely than I think we would if we were sitting in an office and they were traveling to see us.
1: I'd love to talk about burnout. Just this is a curiosity I've had. How do you define something like burnout versus the feeling of demoralization versus compassion fatigue? Are they all the same flavors of the same thing that's happening or I'm curious how you see it?
2: They certainly they can all happen at the same time. But they are different. Burnout, I think of we we think of exhaustion, you know, is really just kind of being overworked. And, and, and just the exhaustion that comes with that, you know, just feeling just out of breath with regards to your work and losing interest, maybe, and things like that. Demoralization is deeper than that. This is um, when people really lose a sense of their humanity or their spirit in their work. And it's usually caused by mistreatment. So this is not just like... I'm staying up late to plan lessons and I do that too often and I'm tired. This is I have interactions within my workplace that are that really strip me of my hope or my sense of control or just leave me feeling defeated as a person. And so there it's really kind of like a different level I would say of burnout. Compassion fatigue is vicarious trauma, essentially. So that's where you really become, it's kind of a specific form of burnout, if you will, but you're you're actually experiencing negative emotions or distress yourself as a result of helping others. So spending a lot of time in a helping profession, serving others, immersing yourself in the lives of other people can often result in you feeling the same types of, of mental health symptoms or negative emotions that you're seeing in the people around you.
0: So, I mean, I think the educators that we see are experiencing all of those things often, but in particular, I think demoralization is really deep in, in a lot of the people, and I'm sure a lot of the people you see. What are the kinds of supports that you find that people are looking for When they really are feeling that kind of deep demoralization, and how does the work you do help connect them to those supports?
2: Yeah, I think I think there are lots of different things that we we piece together in this to try to make this as rich as we can for people because it, it is you know for many people they need mental health treatment for for very specific things, right? So unresolved grief, complex trauma depression, anxiety. And so for those for those types of presentations, and I'm talking like psychobabble here a little bit, sorry. For those types of presentations in therapy, we deliver mental health treatment that's evidence-based to inform that. That said, we also, for many people, they need listening, they need validation, they need someone who can concretely help them solve problems and execute on those problems. For, f- beyond that, one of the things that we really lean into as practitioners with this population is, is mobilizing the person through advocacy, supporting them through our advocacy, so they don't lose this sense of hope, right? Because I, I think that that's so critical for educators. We sit in a position in schools where we one of the conditions really that we have as part of our partnerships with schools is that we have the ability to provide feedback to leadership. And so what we will do while while leaders don't know who is receiving services with us, we come to them regularly with themes that we might be hearing about. And, and, and so that gives us an opportunity to impact the organization in a way that can help a person who is struggling with things that are very environmentally motivated. Right. And so we, we lean into advocacy and from, from our work, we also encourage advocacy on the part of others um, that we're seeing, because I think that that, because so much of what people are coming in with is environmentally driven we think it's a really important part of treatment. You know, again, treatment is just what the word we use for support in our support of other people to elevate their voices, to help them feel that there is a, a way that they can be a part of change in their system. And and so advocacy becomes a big part of, of our work as well.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because obviously we, you know, in Empowered Ed really believe in the connection between those two, between wellness and advocacy. And I think that's actually, we exist in a system that tries to separate them out really hard in some ways, right? That tries to say like, we know you're demoralized. We know you're burnt out. We know people are leaving this your, our schools, but but what we need is just to to focus on your individual wellness, to take care of yourself, to have these strategies, to deal with your stress, and you're going to be fine, right? And and that they very much do not want it connected often system-wise right to advocacy but but hopelessness right? The cure for hopelessness is hope in some ways, right? And that that happens through being empowered to actually advocate and feel like you can be part of a change, whether it's a change that is benefiting you in your own school environment or a broader kind of change in the system. So it's so important that we tie those two things together because it is part of what people need individually. And it is also what people need. So we're not constantly trying to solve for the burnout and demoralization. We're actually doing something about it more systematically. I'm curious then what you think are like what are the systemic changes that you see that would be most helpful to supporting educators' mental health
2: yeah <clears throat> you know i just i think that i think people feel isolated but and in this kind of co- to to say a little more about your point that you know i also think what advocacy does is it, it it gives us a common goal with people around us and it helps us to connect with others and and i think that that's one of the things that <clears throat> people are feeling within schools right now is that their humanity is kind of getting lost. There's not time or maybe there's too much distress for people to really connect with colleagues on a, on a meaningful level and relationships with school leaders are often very strained. And this is one of the biggest things that we see with people who feel demoralized and, and, and feel that that's coming from their organization. It's just people being so busy and so distressed that they're looking past each other. Right. And so I think that one of the things that we really work with school leaders on is, uh, shifting, shifting mindset around why people are doing what they're doing and why I'm doing what I, what I'm doing and really understanding, like thinking compassionately about the self and about others and, and how much, our capacity is strained to be the people that we want to be every second, right? And so, just some of that mutual understanding and empathy is is a big part of that. You know, encouraging school leaders to have individual one-on-one meetings, encouraging mentorship type programs. You know, it's very hard for school for people to add things to their schedule in this situation, right? So, I think that some schools want to get after this by doing things like let's have a happy hour, let's get to this kind of thing, but that just it is not feasible for many people and so what a lot of what it is is how can we look at the things that are already happening the meetings that we have the the places that we're already showing up together and how can we um stop in those moments and ask ourselves what's most important do we have to give this announcement that i already wrote in the newsletter and i've sent an email about or could we use this 5 minutes to look each other in the eyes and provide an affirmation or could we could we use this time to celebrate someone we tell school leaders all the time you know anything that you're willing to do for your students be willing to do for your staff Stop and ask yourself at every moment: could I involve someone in this decision? Could I ask for feedback about this thing? Now that takes more time, right? But in, but the payoff for school leaders, um, this becomes an investment that, that that works, right? Because if you can have strong relationships with staff members, then that's ground that you stand on. Then when you hit bumps in the road, and the same, this is the same principles that come from parent and child therapies and sort of interaction-based therapies. It's, it's really the same. If you can, if you can use positive ways to build and strengthen relationships. So again, within the time that you have already, right, not adding stuff on top of things, but strengthening those relationships, then everybody can make mistakes. People are going to make mistakes. We're all, everyone in a school is under stress, but we have some relationship to stand on. Right. And, and that Mutual trust and respect, I think, is the biggest thing that we should be working on in schools above and beyond, you know, procedures for, you know, disciplinary problems in staff or what do we do when someone doesn't show up on time and we need to give them a reprimand. You know, there's a lot of energy that goes into controlling people in a school building right and this kind of hierarchy and again these are parallels to what we know from interactions between adults and, and children right is if we focus on power and control then we will get nowhere right if we focus on strengthening the relationships then think other things fall into place so i would say that I, then i could talk forever about that guys but relationship you know our, our motto wise is relationships can heal and this is this is really what we lean into most of the time i think you know the if, if we're talking about really big picture, what's needed? It's just, I mean, more resources are needed, right? Teachers are just playing too many roles in the school building, and they are they're strapped. And so, nationally, we need reform. I don't have to tell you guys this. We need more more, more resources in schools, right? But like on a school based level, what can school leaders do? I think it's really leaning into relationships, being vulnerable, being willing to take feedback. And and also knowing that you as a school leader are ex, is experiencing everything that everyone else in your school building is experiencing just on a different level and, and having that compassion for yourself as well.
1: You said so many important things about <laughs> you just shared there. Um I I we really stressed when we're working with schools and school leaders, this human-centered approach just to recognize that every single person in that building is dealing with something difficult that had, they had, they got stuck in traffic this morning, their child is sick, their parent is sick. And to be able to really look at the human being first. And we hear this a lot from our teachers of just like the the supervision style that they want is they're willing to take feedback. They're willing to grow. They want to grow as educators, but they need someone to see them as a human being. Right. And yet this feels very difficult to really, to really change this mindset. The mindset feels very deeply seated and so I am curious in, in terms of leaders who who need their own mental health supported and as they're working within a system that can often be very punitive to them as well, like how how do we support leaders better and to be able to, to shift this mindset into one where we can really value the human beings?
2: Yeah, I think so. We, we do a lot of work with school leaders and most of the so I, I mentioned earlier that we somewhat require an interaction with school leaders on a regular basis in places where we may just even be doing mental health treatment for teachers. But um, most, in most cases, school leaders are meeting with us. And a lot of times what that sounds like is kind of a hybrid of consultation about what's happening in the school and and the things that they're struggling with from a leadership standpoint, and also their own personal well-being. And so I would say that the biggest impact comes from these places where school leaders are stepping into this space with us and saying, Yeah, I'll do it too. I'll do therapy too, you know. And that's not to say that every school leader needs therapy, but we, again, we don't even call it that in many cases. It's we're providing this support so that school leaders can really have someone in the building that they don't supervise, that they don't manage, that they don't employ, and that they can really be completely open with and receive a non judgmental. Response because they're just answering to so many people, and you know a lot of what we find with school school leaders are just usually so people who are so self-sacrificing that they often don't want to sit and talk about themselves very much. Uh, I can't say that's true, true for everybody, but we find this as kind of a, a theme, and so I, I find that what is seems to be very helpful for school leaders is giving them tools that help them feel. Um, more accomplished and efficacious in their jobs because they just have such big jobs, and there's no way that they're going to feel like they're doing a good job for every person in the building at all times. And so, you know, again, some of that is helping improve practice and and skill in some ways where they can, you know, listen better, support someone m- more effectively, but also helping to shift mindset or and and sort of a interpersonal approach right to just be more vulnerable more open and and to shed some of these ideas that i think are just deeply baked into education and schools around hierarchies and and power but for for many school leaders it's just a really good exercise to sit and think about all the things that they are able to accomplish in a day because they will certainly end the day feeling unaccomplished in many ways. And I find that school leaders are often perfectionistic and kind of sometimes the best and worst ways, both at the same time, they're obviously high achieving people to have gotten to where they are and to be doing the jobs that they are. And I think that also comes with a need for balance and grace and and really uh, just kind of leaning into their own humanity as well
1: yeah i it, it can feel I feel like for us perfectionists and I identify that way like it can feel like losing sometimes we, but it's really a win on those moments yes, where yeah. like you have the openness and the vulnerability it's it's it can feel hard, but it's really powerful too. so I, we we like big ideas on this show and we want to ask one more question about your big vision because I from the beginning of doing this work, I, I really see three pieces of wellness in schools and it's the student wellness it's the staff wellness, but it's also the family wellness. Mm-hmm. And for those three pieces to be working together. And so I, I'm curious, do you have a vision of like in a in a more resourced system, what, w- what would that look like?
2: Hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. I, I think that from, from where I'm sitting, right. And in, in my position, our ideal is that there are Mental health professionals or mental health adjacent people, and and what I mean by that is lay people who are are adopting mental health practice in some way, right? Which we know can be done, and that that um, that there's enough of those people in a building, in a school building, to where the idea of mental health becomes something that is a moment to moment daily. Um, practice, not something that's stigmatized, not something that we wait to get bad enough in order to get support. Um, but but there's programming on every level from preventative to responsive for students, families, and educators so that everyone has a shared language around mental health and well-being, so that everyone has access to the thing that matches not just their need, but what they have capacity and interest in in taking advantage of and just real connectedness. I mean, I think, I think that one of the most powerful exercises that we ever do with, with schools is, which I'm sure you guys know of, is just like sitting and thinking about like every educator and every student by name, person by person, and, and even you know their families and asking ourselves, does that person have someone in this school building that is safe for them, that they feel truly seen and heard by? And so I think that's the utopia, right? Is, is like if all people, including students, families, caregivers, feel that there's someone inside this building that sees and hears me for who I am and that I know I'm safe with, that I think that I think that then what you create is a system where people like me aren't as needed there's always going to be people that that need mental health treatment right but but I think that what we work to do is build capacity through relationships and through some of this mindset shifting and any and through some specific skills that people can take on to spread that out in a way that it it doesn't it's not all just therapists. I think people sometimes these days in our culture are using therapy to replace something that's actually vitally human, right? Which is just like having a connection to a person who is safe and who can give you hard feedback and can also listen to you and validate you and like that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that being a therapist is like being a friend, but I think that that there's just such a, a, a craving for more connection that this is where where we hope to get. I guess, increasing connection.
0: Yeah, it, it's so true. And it's it. we always say that schools are, are very much a human enterprise and relationships are the key and the foundation to all of it. But we don't really live in a system that values that over the kind of performance and metrics and things yeah. that education can be so so focused on, but we know that Wise is helping so many schools get closer to that vision and the work that you're doing, and it's just so important. You've said so many things today that I think are just so important for people on every level in schools and working in education and, in and around schools to hear. Megan McCormick, thank you so much for thank being you, on the podcast. I
2: appreciate you. On. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank
0: you.
1: Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to another educator wellness advocate and rate us five stars so others can discover our podcast. We also hope you stay in touch. We'd love to hear your questions, ideas, and recommendations for future podcast guests and themes. Just email us at wellness at weareempowered.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and TikTok with the same handle as EmpowerEdDC, or visit us at WeAreEmpowerEd.org. Thanks again. We are all part of this educator wellness revolution, and we really appreciate your time and energy.